Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us. I hope you're having a great day. You know, our mission here at Open Your Eyes is to help all of us open our eyes a bit more to the possibilities and realities all around us. And each week, we try to bring uplifting messages that will help you in real and practical ways to live a happier life. So today, wherever you are as you listen to this podcast, I hope you get a new perspective of how you can think and live better. And if this podcast inspires you a bit, please share it with a friend. That's how we here at Open Your Eyes can fulfill our mission a bit more to more people. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about keeping your faith. Okinawa is the smallest of the five primary islands that make up the country of Japan. And the island is 66 miles long and seven miles wide. And the total population is about 1.4 million people. The name Okinawa means the rope in the open sea due to the shape of the island. And it was there on April 1st, 1945, that U.S. Marines stormed ashore during World War II to begin the final battle before the anticipated invasion of the main island of Japan. Taking Okinawa would provide the U.S. forces approximate air base for the final defeat of the Japanese armies. Now, the American forces landed near Chatan on the southern portion of the island and immediately moved southward towards Uraso. The goal? To take Shuri Castle, where the headquarters of the Japanese forces on the island were stationed. But standing between them and their goal was the Maeda Escarpment. This ridge, extending through the middle of the narrow island, prevented the easy advance of tanks and trucks. The advance, therefore, had to be done on foot, and it was a logistical nightmare for all involved. This ridge, this cliff, was the site of some of the fiercest battles of the war. And as a result, the Americans called the ridge Hacksaw Ridge, an appropriate name given the casualties that would occur there. Company A mounted four 50-foot ladders, which were lashed together, and cargo nets to climb the ridge. However, every man who climbed to the top was killed by the Japanese. Company B attempted the climb further west with cargo nets. And to install the nets, three soldiers volunteered to climb to the top of the ridge and secure the cargo nets. One of those soldiers who volunteered was Desmond Doss. Now, born in 1919 in Lynchburg, Virginia, Desmond grew up during the Depression. He attended a small Seventh-day Adventist church, and there, several experiences in his young life would solidify his faith. His father was often drunk, but his mother Bertha taught Desmond to serve and sacrifice for his faith. As a young man, one hot summer evening, his uncle and father were both drinking, and they got into a fight. And in the heat of the moment, his father pulled out a gun. During the tussle, his mother got in between Desmond's father and uncle. His father gave up the gun to Desmond, and the police took his father to jail. Desmond vowed then and there never to touch a gun again. Not long after, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and Desmond enlisted in the Army to be a combat medic. In basic training, he excelled physically, but he refused to carry a gun or even hold a gun. So the Army wanted to send Doss to a conscientious objector camp 
to work in construction during the war. Desmond refused. And as a result, throughout basic training, Desmond was branded. Because he carried a Bible and refused to hold a gun, he soon became the butt of every joke. While he attempted to pray, he was ridiculed. When he didn't budge on his faith, he was beaten and bullied. When he read his Bible, he was belittled and forced by his sergeant to clean latrines and denied weekend passes. As a result, Desmond stood alone. His captain told him, there's no way you're going to be by my side out there if you won't carry a gun. One day, the sergeant came and told him to turn in his kits. He was no longer a medic. He was accused of being no use to the unit. Well, Desmond asked him to check the records. His performance was exemplary. And the sergeant said, it doesn't matter. Your faith is too strict for the army. However, when it came to a final determination, Desmond prevailed. And soon, he was deployed to battle. Well, at Hacksaw Ridge, his unit climbed the cargo nets that Desmond had installed and landed the first two platoons atop the ridge. There, thousands of Japanese soldiers awaited them in caves and fighting holes. As they arrived atop the ridge, they were pummeled with artillery and mortar and machine gun fire. Nine times in seven days, the assigned platoons ascended the ridge and were driven off. As a result, three dozen platoon officers and thousands of men were killed in those few days. One after another, 30-men platoons would ascend and then be driven back and often none would survive. Each time, Desmond would risk his life seeking out the wounded, following their cries for help, locate them, and drag them to safety. One particularly bad day, a number of platoons had staked out a position atop the ridge. The Japanese attacked in a fury. When the Americans retreated, 75 wounded men remained on the ridge. And over the next 12 hours, Desmond found the wounded men, dragged them to the edge of the ridge, and lowered them to safety. In the middle of the mortar and rifle fire, Doss kept going. Most of the time, pulling the men by the collar and himself crawling to the ridge, pulling the man behind him. Some of the men were more than 125 yards away from the ridge, and Doss dodged bullets and fire and dragged them to safety. Desmond said he prayed the entire time. Lord, help me get one more, he said. Desmond worked alone as the battle raged. Knowing the Japanese would torture wounded men at night, he refused to leave a man. One Japanese soldier later said that he had Desmond in his sights ready to kill him, but his gun jammed every time he tried to fire. Well, after that day, the respect for Desmond grew to new heights in his unit. He became the heart and spirit of that unit. And finally, the command came down to make an all-out assault and take the ridge at all costs. The attack was scheduled for Saturday. But Desmond asked his captain if they could delay one day so he could observe his Sabbath, which was Saturday. The same captain who wanted him out of his unit at basic training personally sent the request up the chain to delay the launch. The request was granted so one man, Desmond Doss, could observe his Sabbath. In the attack, Desmond was moving from one wounded soldier to another when suddenly something exploded in front of him. He was blown up by a grenade. Shrapnel wounds covered his legs and stomach, and he lay on the field of battle for five hours. Soon, medics arrived, and he was carried away on a litter. However, 
En route to safety, they encountered another soldier who was wounded. And Desmond left the litter, crawled over to treat the man. And he gave up his litter so the soldier could be carried to safety. And shortly after, Doss was shot in the arm and his arm was shattered. He then crawled 300 yards to safety. Now, when he arrived at the hospital ship offshore, he realized that he left his Bible on the battlefield. It was his main source of strength during the war. And when the men in his unit learned his Bible was lost, they backtracked to search the terrain for his Bible. They found it and sent it to Desmond, who was wounded and being treated on the ship. After recovering, Desmond received the Medal of Honor. Now, many of the men who Desmond saved were those who called him a nut, bullied and belittled him in basic training. But all would later say, I am proud to have known him. In 2001, Gregory Crosby, the grandson of Bing Crosby, finished his work on a screenplay of the story of Desmond Doss and Hacksaw Ridge. After 14 years of rewrites and negotiations, in 2015, filming of the story started and Andrew Garfield, Vince Vaughn, and others would star in the movie. The movie was nominated for a number of Academy Awards. Now, not to the extent of Desmond Doss, I think our faith is tested from time to time. And that faith may be faith in God, or faith in yourself, or faith to stick to your goals, or faith in another person, or simply faith that your situation or business can improve. And it's easy in the midst of discouragement or struggle to let our faith falter, to not keep our faith. Faith is a commitment to choices that you've made. It's likely the biggest difference between people who prevail in life and those that don't. In my mind, it's more important than talent or ability. Faith, like destiny, is not a matter of chance, but choice. And when you choose to keep your faith, you set a direction for your life and your thoughts and action that's unique. Because in the end, you are what you believe yourself to be. So, When you're facing challenges in life or business, how do you keep your faith about you? How do you not give your faith away to the critics or circumstances that come about? Well, here's the first thing that I've learned. The more you do, the better you feel. The more you act, the more faith you generate. I know my faith is strong and grows when I am in an active state. When I'm in a passive state, I lose my faith. What does that mean? Well, it means that even if you have a reason to give up some of your faith, act anyway. You keep your momentum moving forward. Let's say you're trying to build a new business, but you've had several setbacks, and you lost your business partner, let's say, and you wonder if you can keep going, and you're tempted to give up your faith, particularly faith that your business can bless your life, and you lose your motivation. Perhaps you have a son or daughter that has let you down too many times and you're tempted to give up your faith in them. Let's say you've retreated too many times in your commitment to change a habit and you falter in your faith in yourself or your goal. Some people, when faced with these types of challenges, retreat to a passive state. There they worry, reflect, compare, and assign blame. Others, however, choose to simply act. And by doing so, They give up the worry and the comparison or the assigning of blame and choose the faith-filled path. People who choose to act 
soon find validation for their faith. It is the action that generates the reason for their faith to grow. Action helps us exert our independence, strengthen our discipline muscles, negate our stress levels, and brings us closer to our end goal. Fred Smith once said that a linguist on a team of translators with whom he was working said that in 20 of the world's most ancient languages, the word belief is the same as the word do. It is only as language became more sophisticated that we began to separate the meaning of one from the other. So for me in my life, any action towards what I have faith I can do is empowering. Sir Isaac Newton's third law of motion states that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You've heard that. In my mind, this means that when you act, the force, the energy, the faith that you put into generating that action will, in fact, return to you. It feeds your faith. It builds your belief. Some of you drive a hybrid car. And unlike electric cars, you don't plug in the hybrid cars. Yet these cars have a battery and will often run off that battery. So how does the battery inside a hybrid get charged if not through a plug? It's called regenerative braking. Now, what is that? Well, your hybrid has two engines. One's gas-powered and one's electric. And the electric motor in your car runs in two directions, one to propel the car forward and the other to capture energy when the car slows down. So when you push on the brake in a hybrid car, what happens is the electric engine engages with the wheels And the momentum of the car turns the electric engine backwards. And in this turning of the electric engine, it charges the battery. So the resistance or turning of the electric engine by the wheels slows the car. So your hybrid car is continuously charging itself by your driving. Likewise, your faith is charged the more you test that faith through action. It is against resistance that faith grows. Norman Vincent Peale said, Action is the great restorer and builder of confidence. Inaction, the result of fear. Any action is better than no action at all. So let's talk about the next way to keep your faith. A great author once said, If you keep in your mind the direction you want to go, it will guide you to make the right decisions at the right time. I have found this to be true. To keep our faith, We must keep our mind in the direction of where we want to go. So much of the loss in life comes because we let our mind go. We lose faith in our thinking. I mean, I get it. It's easy when inflation is around and gas prices are high and COVID may return and things are in commotion to have faith to start a new business, for example. Your mind gives you all the reasons not to. It's also easy when you've let yourself down a time or two. When you set the goal to exercise and didn't follow through, or at least didn't do everything you set out to do, it's tough to change your mindset to say you can start again and you will be strong enough to stick to your goal. You know, recently the Masters Golf Championship was held at Augusta, Georgia for the 86th time. And during those 86 years, Jack Nicholas has won six times, Tiger Woods five times, Arnold Palmer four. Five other players have won three times, and nine other players have won twice. It is considered by most golf's greatest achievement. This year welcomed a new first-time winner, Scotty Scheffler. The headline 
in the paper following his win said this, The real genius of Scheffler is between his ears. Sixty days before the Masters, Scheffler was still trying to win his first PGA tournament. And in those 60 days, he won four, including the Masters. What's working for this 25-year-old Masters champion? Well, Scheffler says he focuses on keeping his mind in the direction he wants to go. He keeps things simple. His college golf coach said that in college, Scotty struggled if the instructions coming from the coach were too specific. Scotty had a simple vision for what he needed to do and kept his mind clear to do it. He keeps his mind on what he's trying to achieve. And when columnist Kirk Bowles asked him how his success and money had changed his life, Scotty revealed that he still drives his father's 2012 Yukon with 180,000 miles on it. He only has one sponsor, and he keeps his mind clear from the distractions so that he can focus on golf. Well, at the Masters, especially in the last round on Sunday, Scotty demonstrated his ability to keep his mind in the direction of his goal. He was unfazed by the crowd, the competition, and the commotion on that final day. The winning purse that Scheffler took home from the Masters was $2.7 million. And what Scotty proved is that if you keep your mind simply in the direction of where you want to go, ignoring the distractions, you find and achieve more than you think possible. Distractions will rob you of your faith. One of my classmates, Kelly Johnson, recently told a story about playing basketball as a young man at a national high school basketball tournament. He said, this was a fabulous opportunity for me to play against some of the best high school competition in the country. And it was a gathering place for college scouts to watch high school seniors play against each other. We were playing a team from Los Angeles named the Los Angeles Magicians, and they were skilled offensively and they were intense defensively. Their defensive pressure was like nothing I had ever played against before. The player guarding me would position himself so that we were face-to-face, seriously, just inches apart. And he also loved to trash talk. The trash-talking, intimidation, and pressure began to get to me as I struggled to shake my opponent enough to even touch the ball. A scramble for a loose ball had resulted in a jump ball. So following the call, our coach immediately called a timeout, and we were gathered in a huddle around our coach to receive his direction. Following the timeout, we returned to the court and lined up around the circle at the foul line for the jump ball. My teammate tipped the ball to me, and I immediately made a spin move and rose for a wide-open jump shot. As I released my shot, I heard gasps and laughter coming from the crowd. I had shot at the wrong basket. Now, I've thought about that embarrassing moment many times. What happened? Why did I shoot at the wrong basket? It happened because I lost focus during the timeout called by my coach. And I also became so intimidated by the defensive pressure of my opponent and his trash talking that I lost focus on what was most important in the game, such as which basket was mine. Well, this experience has become an important lesson for me. I've learned that I must be careful and not allow myself to become distracted or to lose focus on things that matter most. If we are not careful, we can easily get distracted and divert our energies to less important things. Well, like Kelly, I found the same thing. My faith in who I can become 
can become clouded and unclear if I let distractions take my focus and faith away. For example, my faith in God becomes clouded when I focus on things other than Him or what I believe He intends for me to do. Distraction is the great thief in life. It will divert your attention, capture your interest, and rarely returns any value to your life. But when you decide to do something remarkable in your life and place your faith in yourself and your decision, the first thing to do is clear the path and remove any potential distractions. Michael Crichton wrote, A day is like a whole life. You start out doing one thing, but end up doing something else, plan to run an errand, but never get there. And at the end of your life, your whole existence has that same haphazard quality as well. Your whole life has the same shape as a single day. A few years ago, in writing an amazing book about change, the authors asked a simple question, how do you move an elephant? They were comparing our ability to change maybe changing long-standing habits, to an elephant. Because an elephant is huge. It has a mind of its own. It has its own moods and will go where it wants to go regardless of whether you have a leash on it or not. Habits are the same. So how do you move an elephant? Their answer? Clear the path. Make the path so obvious that the elephant has to walk in that direction. Likewise, when we're trying to keep our faith about us, Clear the path. Each day, eliminate distraction. This means to organize your day so you build your faith, take action, and feed your mind and your faith with the nutrition it needs to keep your subconscious on course. Now, can I make one suggestion of how to do this powerfully? Set aside 15 minutes each day to feed your faith. Just call it your faith feeding time. During this feeding time, read, speak to yourself, imagine, and create the path for your day. Think purposefully how you will keep distractions from your view and focus on where your faith is leading you. If that's making your business grow, clear the path. If that's growing your faith in God, remove the distractions and keep your path clear. If that's being a better spouse or leader or team member, clear the path. Next, to keep our faith bright, we must recognize that there is a law that can fight against us. And that law is the law of diminishing intent. Jim Rohn describes this law like this. The longer we delay doing something, the less likely it is that we will do it. Now, salespeople understand this law exceptionally well. They know that if a potential customer arrives at their door and looks at their product, the longer that customer delays doing something, the less likely they are to buy it. That's why good salespeople invite action and create reasons to act with urgency. They understand the law of diminishing intent. And what we need to realize is that faith is a sales job. Each day, we are selling to ourselves the thing in which we are placing our faith. That means the longer we go without acting on that thing, the less likely we are to act. Why? Because the further we get away from our commitment, we lose our confidence and our faith erodes. One author wrote, Life can be frustrating, and oftentimes we know what our problems are. We may even know what to do about them. 
but we fear that taking action is too risky or we don't have the experience or it's not how we pictured it or it's too expensive or too soon or we think something better might come along or we fear it might not work. And you know what happens as a result? Nothing. We do nothing. So don't let your fear force you into waiting. Remember, the longer you wait, the less likely you are to do it. So set aside the fact that you might not succeed, keep your faith, and feel the fear, and do it anyway. You know, in the New Testament, there's a wonderful story that most people are familiar with. After Jesus performs a miracle in feeding the 5,000 people, he instructs his disciples to board a ship and cross the Sea of Galilee while he remains behind to send away the multitude and to pray. Well, there on the sea, a windstorm comes up during their voyage, and the small ship in which the men were on was tossed among the waves. To add to their distress, the disciples were confronted with what they thought was a spirit they could see approaching, and they cried out in fear. What they saw was actually Jesus walking on the water towards them. And although Jesus announced that it was he, that they didn't need to fear, some on the ship were skeptical. Peter called out, If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus responded, Come. Peter left the boat and, like Jesus, walked on the water. But part way to Jesus, Peter's attention was diverted from his master to the buffeting winds and waves around him. His faith began to weaken, and he began to sink helplessly in the water. He cried out, appealing to Jesus for help. And after clasping Peter's hand and assuring his safety, Jesus mildly chastised Peter and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Then, when Jesus was aboard the boat, the winds ceased. Now, sometimes when I hear this story shared, I hear people refer to Peter as having failed because Jesus asked him, Why did you doubt? But I don't think that's what happened, nor what Jesus was saying. I believe this experience was a significant source of faith to Peter throughout his life. I imagine that Peter looked back on that event many times and said to himself, I had the courage to walk out onto the water, and for a time, I did the impossible. I believe it fed his faith in himself and in his Lord. I also believe Jesus wasn't chastising Peter when he asked, Why did you doubt? I believe he wanted Peter to learn the power of keeping his faith about him during the commotion that was all about him. Now, I love this story because I believe you too can do the impossible if you don't doubt or give your faith away. You may not walk on water, but you will walk in places that you have never walked before and in ways you never thought you could if you will keep your faith. And I believe if you keep your faith, you will have the ability to do what may seem impossible in your life. Perhaps you're needing a change. Don't doubt. Perhaps you're attempting something remarkable you have never done. Don't doubt. Perhaps you're doing something again that you've done before, but this time you need to rise and do better. Don't doubt. Keep your faith. Feed your faith, and your doubts will starve to death. Now, Robert Kriegel wrote, We don't have a clue as to what people's limits are. All the tests, stopwatches, and finish lines in the world can't measure human potential. When someone is pursuing their dream, they'll go far beyond 
what seems to be their limitations. The potential that exists within us is limitless and largely untapped. When you think of limits, you create them. And I believe that's true. You can do what you set out to do, be who you desire to become, and create a life that will be rewarding and remarkable. And your faith, like Desmond Doss, can turn things to your good if you will keep it and stay loyal to it. In the end, as St. Augustine said, faith is to believe what you do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what you have believed. So, as we end today, remember Desmond Doss, keep your faith. No matter what others say or do, or temptations come to abandon your faith, in the end, those who doubted you will likely admire your faith and applaud your efforts. Remember, action is the great restorer and builder of confidence. Inaction, the result of fear. And any action is better than no action at all. So to prevent the law of diminishing intent, act now. And don't end up shooting at the wrong basket in life, so to speak, because of distractions. Keep your faith focused on your goal. And like Scotty Scheffler, keep things simple. Clear the path for the elephants in your life and stay focused each day on your faith. Feed your faith. And don't let doubt or fear keep you from doing the impossible. Remember, pushing through fear is less frightening than living with the lasting fear and self-doubt that comes from never having tried. And remember, each day, set aside 15 minutes to feed your faith. It's a daily feeding time that will keep you focused and give you the wherewithal to keep your mind in the direction you should go. And watch. Your life's path will become more clear and prosperous each day. You will feel the difference when you keep your faith. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.